0: not going to be that bad. You can look a little bit happy. Good Lord willing, we're going to continue our thoughts on the resurrection of Jesus this evening, just for a few minutes. Recall, please, that we focused in, drilled in on the burial of Jesus this morning, and especially the actions and the qualities of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Recall also from this morning that we discussed just briefly about the importance of the resurrection. According to Paul in Romans 1, 3, and 4, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power because he was raised from the dead. Jesus also showed that he had predictive power He often spoke of being raised from the dead. One time he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up, John 2, 19. Now those standing around him was thinking that he was talking about the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body and later they understood that. Jesus often predicted that he would be raised from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead shows that he has all authority. For example, in Ephesians 1.20, Paul said that God showed his great power when he raised Jesus from the dead and made him to sit on his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and every name that is named. Jesus is above all that because God raised him from his dead. And God made him to be the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So his being raised from the dead shows his great authority. The thing that we must come in contact with is the authority of Christ found in scripture. And the resurrection helps us us to find that. The resurrection of Jesus also shows that our salvation is based on very secure foundation. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says, If Christ be not raised, then our faith is in vain and we are yet in our sins. But it's the opposite of that. Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have very strong footing for our faith. And we can be forgiven of our sins. We can walk with God. It's it's a glorious thing to think about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ shows his connection to the Father. In John 10, 17, Jesus said, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. He said this, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. When we say that the power of God brought Jesus back from the dead, we're saying that Jesus' power himself was involved in that. It's an amazing thing to think about. So this evening, for just a few minutes, we'll look at three areas of study that will help us, hopefully, to appreciate the resurrection of Christ even more. Okay? And so that's that's the idea uh, this evening. The first uh, area of study is when the tomb was secured. Matthew chapter 27, and uh, verses 62 to 66. You remember this. So, it's now the day after the crucifixion. And... Jesus was still worrying the chief priest. They've crucified him. He's he's dead. He hasn't been buried. But they're still worried. So they go to Pilate and they say, You know this deceiver, talking about Jesus, this deceiver would often say that after he is killed, he's going to be raised on the third day. And so they said to Pilate, Uh, just in case his disciples come along and steal his body and then later say that he has been raised from the dead and uh, then the last fraud or last error will be worse than the first error. Uh, Please, let's make this tomb very secure. And so Pilate said, okay, you have a watch. Go make it as sure as you can. And so when he said you have a watch, he means you have all the guards you need to secure that tomb for the next next few days, and you can go make it as sure as you can. In fact, they put up a seal, a Roman seal. A Roman seal was a cord they stretched across. Remember, there's a great stone, big, huge stone, rolled in front of the cave of the tomb itself. So they would stretch a cord right across that doorway, across that big stone, And they'd get it across and then with some wax they would put, they would secure the cord on one side of the doorway and then secure with wax also on the other side of the doorway. And then they would put the Roman seal right there in the midst of that wax. Now to break that seal uh, is a criminal offense. So they're making it as sure as they can by throwing guards there, not just one or two. But several guards, and this is what these Roman soldiers do. They secure things. That's their whole job. That's their whole life. It's to secure things. And so take as many guards as you need, make it as sure as you can, Pilate said. Now, isn't it interesting that they heard the words of Jesus, but they didn't apply them? Okay. They knew what he said. They knew exactly what he had said. On several occasions, Jesus would say, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be delivered to the Jewish leaders. I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world. I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I'm going to be raised again. They had no trouble hearing what he said, but applying it is a different story. We have the same trouble sometimes. We have the same trouble. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1 for just a second. Revelation chapter 1. Notice this little passage, but it helps us to remember that when we hear God's Word, we need to do more than just hear it. We need to internalize it, put it into our lives. Revelation 1 and verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Book of Revelation. Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. Notice the responsibility. First to read God's Word, and then to hear what you are reading, and then to keep those things that are written. Now, these Jewish leaders, the chief priests, they had heard Jesus say over and over again that he would be raised the third day. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They didn't combine a belief with the hearing of the Word. But we must do that. So they are making the tomb just as secure... As they can. It's kind of laughable when you know the power of God, isn't it? You know? It, it reminds me a little bit of, of the Elijah story that we studied recently. And Eli- it came time for Elijah to, to build his altar and call down fire from heaven. And Elijah just kept saying, you know, throw more water on it. Throw some more water on it. Throw some more water on it. Because he had no doubt whatsoever that God was going to send fire from heaven and lap up all this water we can be just as sure, they, were, they could be just as sure that whatever they threw at that tomb, Jesus was going to come forth from the dead no matter what they threw at that tomb. Okay. Especially the fact that angels are going to be involved in this resurrection. 2 okay. Kings 19 comes to mind. You remember the Assyrian, Assyrian army threatening God's people during the time of Hezekiah? Sennacherib was one of the evil people. Well, if you look at 2 Kings 19.35, look what the angel of the Lord did to the Assyrian army in one night. 185,000 dead. 185,000 killed one night by the angel of the Lord. And so they're making the tomb as secure as they can. It's almost laughable. When the Lord says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're not going to stop the power of God. You can can throw all the seals at it if you want to. You can throw all the cords at it if you want to. You can throw all the guards at it if you want to. The Lord was coming back from the dead. But they made the tomb just as secure as they could. But yet, Jesus uh, came back uh, from the dead. Now, please notice here, that this adds to the fact that they knew exactly where Jesus was buried. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man and very much an influence among the Jewish community, he knew exactly where Jesus was buried. The women who attended to the needs of Jesus and served him faithfully to the very end of of his time on earth, uh, they knew where the tomb was located exactly. And then they went and told, as we'll be seeing here in just a moment, they went and told the disciples of the Lord, and they came to the tomb. They, the disciples, Peter and John especially, knew exactly where Jesus was buried. Now, here is the official Roman government sending guards, Okay, putting the seal of the Roman government right at the location of the tomb itself. It's, an, it's on official record now where Jesus was not only crucified, but where he was buried. Okay. They, no one could say, and no one contended in those times, that, no, that the place of Jesus' burial was somehow misplaced or, or mislocated or, or sometime, somehow or another in a hurry or in a frenzy of Passover time. Somehow or another, he just got buried or, or dumped here or there, and, and really his body was just lost. No, not whatsoever. It was well known where Jesus uh, was buried. The tomb was made very uh, secure. Okay? So that's our first uh, line of thought. Now our second is concerning the first day of the week, Sunday. Sunday. Let's just notice a few thoughts. Jesus came forth from the dead on that first day of the week. In Matthew chapter 28, 2 through 4, notice... The angels and the women. The women were coming to the tomb, as we mentioned this morning, very early. They, um, uh, should we go so far as to say that when a man does a job, a woman needs to come along and do it better? I don't know. But, you know, Nicodemus Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea had anointed the body of Jesus with some spices, but the women had been watching and so they, they had it in mind They're going to rest on the Sabbath day and they're going to come on the first day of the week and they're going to continue to anoint that body. So here they come and they're wondering as they come, Mark 16 verse 3, they're wondering as they come, how are we going to remove that stone in their mind? We'll find somebody to help us. We'll get that stone moved. And when they got there, guess what? That great stone was moved. And they encountered an angel of the Lord But now, an earthquake had happened before all that occurred, before the women encountered the angels. And the soldiers, if you'll notice here in Matthew 28, 2 through 4, notice the soldiers had seen the angel, the soldiers had seen the earthquake, the soldiers had witnessed the resurrection, and they fell back as what? As dead men. As dead men. They... They were so startled... I don't know how to explain this, really. Maybe they were so startled... Maybe the presence of an angel... The presence of an angel... Is just too much for a human being being to, to encounter. But they went back as dead men. And so... This is one occurrence here... On the first day of the week. Now, if you notice here in Matthew 28... Five through 7, also in Mark 16, also in Luke 24, that the angels have something to say to the women. Let's read a little bit about this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter uh, 28 and notice the words of the angel or angels to the women. The angel answered and said unto the women, verse 5, Matthew 28, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Even as he said, notice that, even as he said, Jesus had said this again and again and again. Even as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Where the Lord lay. An angel looks to Jesus and calls Him Lord. An angel who has the power to cause an earthquake and help bring Jesus back from the dead calls Jesus Lord. Come see where the Lord lay. I remember from Hebrews chapter 1, there's a comparison of angels and Jesus. Hebrews 1, verse 5, Unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, unto which of the angels did he say, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And when he again brought the firstborn into the world, he said, Let all the angels of God worship him. Worship him. Who? The Lord. Who's the Lord? The Lord Jesus. And so, with that information from Hebrews 1, we can easily see why the angel of the Lord looked to the women and said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. The Lord. The Lord. He has come forth from the dead. He is now Lord of heaven and earth. He has now (coughs) been raised from the dead and been declared to be the Son of God with power. This is the Lord. Come see the place where he lay. Now notice also from Luke chapter 24, the reading there. Luke chapter 24. I believe it's also beginning in verse 5. It says, The women were affrighted, they were scared, and they bowed down their faces to the earth. And they said, But the angel said unto them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is, re- he is risen. Remember how He spake unto you when He was yet in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day be, be raised again. On the third day He would rise again. And they remembered His words at that time. It's wonderful the connection that continues to be made between what Jesus said and then what actually happened. Now, if you look at these passages, one of the key words given by the angels to the women is go. Go tell the disciples the Lord's going to meet you in Galilee. Go tell the brethren that the Lord's going to meet you. Over and over again, telling the women to go. To go. if we believe this actually occurred then Jesus words to us in the great commission ought to mean even more go you therefore and make disciples of all the nations Matthew 28 verse 19 go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature Mark 16 verse 15 the same message that the angel gave to the women go and say this go and spread the news about this it's the same message that we ought to take to the world, ourselves. And so, notice here on Sunday, on the first day of the week, that the the women encounter the words of the angels. Now, notice the reaction here. Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses seven and eight. Notice the reaction of the women. It says. The angel says to them, verse 7, Go quickly and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. And lo, he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. And lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb. Notice this in verse 8. With fear and great joy. With fear and great joy. If you're looking for an atmosphere to create at church, this is it right here. If you're looking for an atmosphere... Uh, A mood for worship. This is the mood of the ladies. This is is to be our mood on Sunday. This is to be our mood anytime we have a devotional period uh, together. Fear and great joy. A sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of reverence toward God is part of worship. But also, worship is to be a thing of great joy. Great joy. And you know that very well. And so, see here that there are several things occurring here on the first day of the week. We won't take time to go through all of these. But notice here, number 5, Matthew 28, 9 and 10, Hebrews 2 and verse 12. As the women go to tell the disciples, Jesus intercepts. Jesus intercepts their travel, And he appears uh, to these women. He appears to them. Now, the King James Version used H-A-I-L. It's just a form of greeting. In other words, Jesus appears to them and says, Greetings to you. Greetings to you. And they fall down to worship him. And then he says to them, You go tell my brothers, You go tell my brethren. I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Jesus, if he didn't meet the disciples any other time, he had in mind meeting them toward the north, in near uh, in the area of Galilee before he left uh, the earth. Okay. You go tell my brethren. I love that statement. Jesus is our Lord, but He's also our brother. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter two and notice this in particular. Hebrews chapter two. Jesus said, "Go tell my brethren, my brethren." Beginning in verse 11, Hebrews chapter 2, For both he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all one. In other words, when we obey the Lord through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, we become one with him. They that are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hebrews 2 verse 11, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing praise. And we just mentioned a moment ago the environment that's to be created for worship, fear and great joy. But let's add to that the fact that the Lord is in our midst. If we are faithfully proclaiming, if we are faithfully worshiping, the Lord is in our midst. And He is singing praise with us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so he says to the women as he intercepts uh, their travels, he says, go and tell my brethren I will meet them uh, in Galilee. Okay. Now, they do go and tell the brothers. And, um, if you look at Luke chapter 24, 9 through 11, if you look at Mark 16 verse 11, when they hear the report of the women... It says there that their words were as as idle words. In other words, almost like fables. In other words, they just could not bring themselves to believe that they had seen Jesus alive and that Jesus had told them to go and tell them. They just would not believe. Mark 16, verse 11 says, they just did not believe the words of the women. Until Jesus will handle this a little bit later. Okay. In fact, let, let's look at that. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. Because this is going to be the occasion. This is, this is the first day of the week. This is Sunday. Okay. This is the day that Jesus came forth from the dead. Okay. He is meeting people that day, right and left. He has, He's appearing to Mary Magdalene, he is appearing to these women. Okay. He appears to uh, two men who are walking on the road from Jerusalem out to a little place called Emmaus. There are a lot of details here we just can't get into in one lesson. But that night, that night, the disciples are together. And that night, he appears to them right in their midst. Now, notice here in Mark chapter 16 that Jesus is going to have kind of kinda of, he's going to have some rough words for them. Okay. Notice here in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse number 14, it says, Afterward he manifested himself unto the eleven themselves as they sat at meat. Okay. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed, they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen. Jesus was not pleased with their unbelief. When those ladies came with those words, that should have inspired them to remember the words of Jesus, remember all his predictions, remember the ultimate plan of God. It should have inspired them to begin to believe, and yet they still would not believe, even after the, the witness of these honest ladies who had come forth. So Jesus upbraided them. And Jesus said a lot. You can see here, if you look at Mark 16, Luke 24, Jesus had a lot to say to them on this Sunday night meeting. Okay. This is the Sunday night meeting where Thomas was not present. Okay. And so after this, they're going to go find Thomas and report to him. And Thomas is going to say, you know, unless I actually see the wounds in his hand, unless I see the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. So the next Sunday, the next Lord's Day after that, they're together again, and Thomas is with them, and Jesus appears to them at the next door today. And we see that in John 20, 26 to 28. But right here on this very resurrection day, on that night, if you, look at, if you look at John 20, 19 to 23, Jesus, he not only has some pretty rough words for them, he not only rebukes them for their unbelief, but he gives them encouragement. He says, John 20, 21, for example, He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus has always been a very balanced teacher. These men needed to have some reproof. These men needed to be corrected. They needed to hear Jesus say, you have a hard heart, why are you so slow to believe? but they also needed encouragement. Okay. Jesus showed them right away, even though I'm rebuking you here, I'm also letting you know that you're part of God's plan. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, he says. And so I wanted us to see, first of all, the fact that they secured the tomb, which leads to the credibility, of course, of the resurrection of Jesus. And then I want us to see several of the happenings that occurred here on that first day of the week that Jesus came forth from the dead. But the final area I just want us to glance at is the report of the guards, going back to Matthew chapter 28. The report of the guards. This may tell the resurrection record, the story as well as anything. So, the soldiers that had been appointed to guard the tomb, there were several of them. These were well-trained men, and they had all fallen back dead. Some of them came and reported to the chief priest what all things. All things that had occurred. Now, what would be involved in that? Think about what the soldiers at the tomb had witnessed. Okay. They had seen that angel. They had felt that earthquake. They had looked inside the tomb. The body wasn't there, but their clothes are laying there all orderly in a very orderly fashion. They had seen the women come. They had seen the women go with excitement. And so they're telling all these things to the chief priest. Now what would be really nice would be that the chief priest would listen to this and just go somewhere and just sit down and think over his life. Think, think over scripture. Think about what Jesus had said. Maybe just recount everything. Realign all his thoughts. But no, they get into a panic. They have to maintain somehow or another, they got to maintain their position in society as Jewish leaders. And so they come up with an emergency plan and a cover story. The plan is to offer these soldiers who are coming to tell them these things, offer them a large sum of money, okay, and then to create this cover story. Here's the cover story. We want you to take this money and we want you to say this. Say that you fell asleep during the night, and while you were asleep, the disciples of Jesus came, and they, they stole the body and took the body. Okay. And we want you to spread that everywhere. Okay. And so verse 15 says, they took the payoff money, they put it in their pockets, they took the money. And they went forth and they told people this lie that the disciples had come and stole the body. Okay. Now, this is not unheard of. This happens all the time, money and lies a big part of religion uh, today. But notice how foolish their cover story is, and should have been for people there. A lot of holes in it. So while you were sleeping, they came and sold the body. The disciples come. The story is, while we were sleeping, the disciples of Jesus Came and stole the body. Well, if you were sleeping, how do you know who stole the body? How do you know it was Jesus' disciples? How do you know the body was stolen at all? Okay, how do you know anything if you were sleeping? And then how is it that you were sleeping? It would have taken a lot of effort and noise, take the effort of several men to roll that stone, break that seal, and then roll that stone. And then, by the way, why would you be sleeping? Because if you fell at your job, then you're probably going to be struck dead. You might recall over in Acts chapter 12, the angel of the Lord came and helped Peter escape prison, and then Herod, the, one who, the ones who were guarding the prison where uh, Peter was being kept, Herod killed them for letting Peter escape. And it wasn't even their fault. The angel of the Lord came and helped Peter get out. But if you read that carefully... Acts 12, verses 18 and 19, Herod had them killed. That's what happened in the Roman government. If you failed at your job, especially of security, then you yourself would be struck dead. These guys are not going to be sleeping. Their job is way too important. But the story was, the cover story, was that while we were sleeping, they come and stole. And Matthew even makes the remark, so Matthew writes, sits down later, few, several years later, and he, he writes down all of this. He makes the remark that that story is still being told even today. They were keeping up that life. Now, this still happens in religion. And we, we, we deal with this all the time especially in regard to the simple plan of salvation. Somewhere a long time ago, somebody created in their mind that you can simply ask Jesus to come into your heart and then your sins will be taken away and you will begin a relationship with Jesus. That is not even remotely hinted at in our New Testaments as far as securing salvation with Jesus Christ. That's not even remotely taught, but that lie has been received and been promoted and proclaimed and is still done even after years and years and years of Bible research. Paul once said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 13 and 14, he said uh, evil men will get worse and worse uh, deceiving and being deceived deceiving and being deceived and that's what these men did here they took the money the chief priest came up with this cover story they offered a large sum of money they said tell this lie they were willing to tell that lie and so they deceived people all themselves all the while being them, they themselves being deceived they were deceived on the front end because they didn't realize what a serious Part of God's plan was being uh, revealed here, being actually done in their presence. They didn't realize how important this was to all eternity. But then, So they were deceived on the front end, but by telling this story, they deceived many others. I wouldn't want to be standing in their shoes on Judgment Day. All of this is said to just bring out the fact that Jesus was actually raised from the dead. We know that he was crucified and he died. No one could have survived the beating and the crucifixion at all. Jesus died. It was confirmed not by just righteous men, but also by the men, the centurion himself. We know that Jesus was buried. And we also know that he was raised from the dead. The tomb was found empty. The body has never been found. Jesus appeared to several people who went and proclaimed this even even at the cost of punishment, even at the cost of persecution, even at the cost of their own lives, they continued to proclaim that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The only reason they would do that, the only reason they would do that is because they knew it was true. They couldn't help but tell. And so this evening as we draw our lesson to a close. Please consider carefully the power of God. Please consider carefully standing in the presence of God. Please consider what it is to stand in opposition to God. And let us all be amazed at how God worked this out. In the midst of earthly affairs, when things looked black, God brought joy to the world. Hebrews 2:12, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12:2, I should say, Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down. At the right hand of the Majesty up on high, Jesus could see through the cross to the joy that was awaiting him—the joy of the resurrection and the joy of being able to bring salvation to so many people. This salvation is offered to any of us and all of us. And if you'd like to come and name the name of Christ uh, this evening, you have like to come and put Him on in baptism, or perhaps just come back home to Him. We invite you to do so right now as we stand together. And